Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back. Enough of that. Enough of that. It's Vet Gurus here, Brendan and Mark, (laughs) with our Christmas special, Christmas 2022. Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you received the presents you wanted or you didn't, depending on whether you celebrate that particular festivity or not. And Merry Christmas to you, Mark, and your family. And all the best of the season to you and yours and all our listeners. It's that time of year that we think the best of everyone and we want the best for everyone. So It's reflective, isn't it, this time of the year? I always find it very reflective and that's what I'm going to do, reflect a little bit. <laughs> but before we do that, Mark, we quickly we'll go through a couple of housekeeping bits and pieces. Uh, vetgurus.com, head over there vetgurus at gmail.com to send us an email. Tell us about your Christmas holiday period, what you've been up to, what are you thinking of doing in the coming year? Because this will sort of be a Christmas slash New Year's report and uh, we may or may not drop another episode in between this one and our regular scheduled weekly Thursday podcast, Mark. Um, So who's to know? what we're going to do because that's in the future, Mark. So vetgurus.com, go there, think about uh, clicking on our Etsy site, etsy.com, do a search for vetgurus, all one word, and buy some fantastic merchandise. You'd be proud of me, Mark. I was. We had a couple of hot days during our crazy summer here um, that's been raining most of the time. And I was out and about with my Vet Guru's bucket hat, Mark. Excellent. uh, I did mention a few episodes ago that I had it. Um, And does the trick, gets the sun off me, protects me, and promotes the brand. What more could you want? Um, So, And it washes well, I must admit. And uh, it puts up with a lot of crap, um, especially if you've got... Magpies and and um, seagulls flying around, Mark. It, um, it just washes off them, off the hat, keeps them <laughs> off my head. So Vet Guru's site, merchandise, a um, little bit goes towards our production costs. And speaking of production costs, we must do a big shout-out before we get into our Christmas topics, Mark, um, to our three main sponsors. They're fantastic. They help in an immeasurable way with our with our production costs, Mark. Um, without them, it'd be much more out of pocket for me and you, I think, <laughs> and that is Chemical Essentials, Andrew and his team, the, the makers of the wonderful F10 line of products and, and various other little bits and bobs. And, you know, they've got some very interesting little products there, the old Chemical Essentials, Mark, and they're always thinking up new variations on their little um, essential chemicals um, to, to supply the veterinary industry. So thank you very much, Andrew. And the second one is Doug at Microchips Australia and all their tens of thousands of microchips that are used Australia-wide and implanted into animals and also internationally as well because they certainly have a bit of a market with some of the wildlife and zoo animals 
and lots of tracking devices and that. A bit worried about Doug. He's, you know, you've got to be careful about when you're talking to Doug. Um, what, what may or may not be recorded, Mark, I think, um, with his contacts in the um, industry and um, what may be tracked or not tracked and i'm sure he's planted a couple of trackers in my bags at one stage um so i've got to be careful which nightclub i end up at mark because i know that doug will be following me maybe he's just trying to look after me so doug and microchips australia and the final one is specialized animal nutrition special sand specialized animal nutrition which is also known as oxbow australia the distributors of all the oxbow products in australia and a couple of other locally made products as well and all the the the, the wonderful critical care that we use by the bucket load for our herbivores but there's an increase in number of other products with oxbow um, some of them which i'd love to get in australia that we haven't managed to Get out here, Mark. There's, I think there's a new carnivore diet that we still haven't um, managed to import into Australia. Um, I think they have regulation issues or it's just not worth it for them or whatever. I have to chat to Jen about it. But they're a very good sponsor. So there are three main sponsors. And the characteristic of the, our sponsors that I love to emphasise, Brendan, is that they just aren't like it's wonderful what they do for us to... Uh, to pitch in and, and help us cover the costs of the production of this little uh, little um, endeavour. But they, they consistently do the same thing across the unusual and exotic pet industry in Australia. They're not just, it's not just you and I who benefit from their largesse and interest and, uh, and expertise in our fields. They really have been long-term supporters of all the vets who work with unusual pets. And, yeah, I just want to make sure that that uh, every chance we get, we acknowledge their considerable contribution to our profession. Yep, absolutely. So I'm just jumping while we – this is real time, Mark. I'm jumping into our little statistics section of our um, – little supplier here and i'm looking at um oh that's interesting <laughs> so <laughs> our retention rate they've got a new st- st- stat new there. Statistic. Re- retention rate um, they compare listens to how much has been completely downloaded partially played or impactful yes. plays mark yes Impactful players are shows listened to through at least 75 percent of the episode and they Excellent news there is, Mark. We have an incredibly high ret- impactful play rate of 84%, which compared with the um, industry average is is excellent. So people, I reckon people just turn us on and they fall asleep. It's, it's my thought. <laughs> it goes all the way through. Yes, that's right. It, it, it is it's fast. like that record, you know, the, for those youngsters, you know, the bit of vinyl, although they're back into vinyl these days, aren't they? And you play a record and it gets to the end there and it'll just go, you know, um, as you're asleep in a drunken stupor. Well, as you were, Mark. As I was. Yes. Yes. So um, that's excellent. We've got very good in, impactful play. And I'm just looking at our geolocation Mark, um, we haven't mentioned about the, and this is, it measures the number of listens of your episode based on the location of the listeners. And I'll just run through 
five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, they've listed the top 10 countries, Mark. So some of these you will guess, but some of these you may not guess. There's a couple that have... It's a bit like the World Cup in soccer that's been going on recently. Some of the countries that you think wouldn't be up there have, have, have done well. So our top 10 countries, Mark, as far as our listenership, and, and many, many, many thanks, as usual, to our listeners and certainly our subscribers. And feel free to mention us to your friends because we like... We, we feel validated when people listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> we like to have friends. So, yeah, the it more friends, the better. that when we started... I thought, oh, this will go for about five weeks and, you know, you and I and our parents will listen to it and that'll be it. The more it's well, gone my on. parents aren't listening to it anymore, Mark. <laughs> Thank you very much for letting me know that, in fact, my parents have both passed away now. Oh, Thank you helpful very much. <laughs> but I, but it, it has become the where initially it was a, a conversation between you and I and I was largely not thinking of, as as my comments show, not thinking of who would listen to it. Now it's become much more a conversation that you and I include those people that listen to us where we are aware of them. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, uh, looking at the statistics does remind us constantly of the large number of people all around the world. And so I would guess that probably Australia is number one in our top 10 list, and America may be number two, but I'm not how oh, wants to go from there. You're doing well there, Mark. Yes, Australia number one, certainly. United States, pretty. they cover a large percentage of our listenership, those two countries there, Mark. Um, and for New York listeners, we obviously are based in Australia, as you can tell from our accents. So Australia and United States, number one. And number two there, Mark. Number three, United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the UK, and pretty closely behind that, as far as um, hundreds, only probably a few hundred listeners behind is Canada, Mark. Uh-huh. Then New Zealand, so Canada in front of New Zealand. Then it gets interesting. So Australia, United States, UK, Canada, New Zealand. All right, so the the following ones after that, the next five are quite interesting. Mark Germany, wow, is the next one. Pretty close to New Zealand, actually, as far as the number of thousands of listeners. Singapore, which I knew we did have a fair um, listenership in Singapore. India now has uh-huh. come up. Um, Poland <laughs> and Sweden. Wow. So there you go. That's the top 10. Australia, United States, UK, Canada, New Zealand, Germany, Singapore, India, Poland, and Sweden. So some interesting ones there, Mark. Um, did you, would, would you have picked some of them? Oh, there would have been a couple I would have missed for sure. And I would really love to uh, maybe some of the people from particularly the non-English speaking, the countries that are primary non-English speaking, obviously there are English speaking people there who are listening to us. Um, But what sort of things, I'd love to hear what they think about our cases and our discussions. So if you live in one of those countries, definitely drop us a line at uh, at our uh, uh, webpage or uh, use our email address and and send us a message and let us know what you do like about Yes, so I don't think we've had any. I don't think we've had an email back from from India, Poland, Sweden, or 
Oh, the next one is France, Mark, or France, depending on where you it pronounce is taking, it. It is taking on yes. a World Cup flavour. Yes. So um, we'd love to hear from hear from that. And I'm just clicking on how many, all countries there. Um, there's some interesting one there. Fair few in Korea we have. And, and yeah, a, a very prominent hello to, um, we had a couple of listeners contact us from Kazakhstan, Mark. Um, it's still very strong, our, our listenership there. And I think it's a lot of expat US um, veterinarians who, who are in Kazakhstan. So thanks for continuing to listen to us. Um, yeah, so quite interesting. I'm just scrolling down there. Got a few in Iran, Mark. Um, <laughs> Iraq, Russia, Serbia, Mexico, Switzerland, Costa Rica. Gee, that'd be nice. I think we need to have an invite to go and do <laughs> uh, a live podcast. An an outside broadcast. Broadcast from Costa Rica, yeah, that would be fantastic. Finland, Belgium, Ethiopia, St. Kitts and Nevis, um, Ukraine. So we've have, we do have a few, but hello to everybody in Ukraine. They're certainly having a tough time at the moment. Um, so there we go. I'll scroll right down to the bottom and I'll see what's down. As, oh, there's a fair few where there's only... One listener in a, in a couple of countries there, Mark, um, which includes Liechtenstein. Wow. Um, Honduras, Kuwait, Monaco, Reunion, the country of Reunion in Africa, which is um, there's a few African ones where we've only got sort of one reported listener there, Morocco, Jamaica, Albania, um, El Salvador, and Uganda. So there we go. Yes, 133 countries, Mark, in total we have now that um, people listen to us from. So It's good just to quickly review through them and because, like I said, they, they, they uh, welcome third parties in our discussions. We, we really enjoy having someone overhear our talks about our unusual pet practices, our veterinary care of them, and, and just a reminder of all around the world where we're able to reach uh, people who like to listen to us. So... Thank you. Hello. And we will um, look forward to you sending us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com. So what are we going to talk about? Christmas Christmas special, Mark? I mean, typically, as you mentioned at the start, we we crap on, don't we, um, as <laughs> usual? We well, I remember. Rem- reminisce I remember. on the year, don't we, typically? Yeah. That is. A, and look, we've been going for so long now that I think it's a good thing for us to revisit some of the we did have a bit of a discussion last year about what the veterinary profession might look like in in uh, five or ten years and what changes we might expect to see. And I, one of the things I think, I don't, I don't know how real this is, but um, I seem to recollect feeling a bit despondent about the profession. I didn't think in our country here in Australia that, um, that things would be easy for the veterinary profession for quite a few years. I thought there would be pressures and demands and and a lot of extra work and struggle to keep people in the profession I thought um, it was going to be a tough time but I, I definitely feel a little bit of an upswing in the mood of the profession across the country I see both our professional association and our regulators here in Australia and pr- probably mimics the action of people in power in our profession around the world uh, moving uh, quite forcefully, quite 
uh, with significant action to to treat some of the things that might be adding to the general stress of the profession. And so my 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 experience of seeing those responses this last 12 months has um, has led me to be more optimistic, Brendan, than I maybe was 12 months ago, I think. Our profession is going to go from strength to strength. I'm looking up, as it were. That's very positive there, Mark. Yes, very, very positive. Things, I mean, things will never be the same with, with all the changes that have happened with COVID. And we have chatted a little bit about processes like, well... Tele tele vetting, tele tele um, consults, Mark. Telemedicine. Telemedicine. And I think so. it will be that will be one of the big things, and it's difficult for regulators and 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 even the general public to keep up with the potential changes that that things like telemedicine, the technology that's available now. Um, I think that's a big big part of our profession's future, and and obviously. It has huge opportunities for time management, for you know the spreading of, of expertise across a greater range of areas, and therefore improving welfare of animals. So, so yeah, I think it's a big, big uh, opportunity for the profession. I don't think we've grasped the nettle quite firmly enough in terms of of uh, limiting the negative things that could happen quite yet. But um, I think we'll get there. And I think you're right, telemedicine's a big part of the future of our profession. And it's certainly changed with the human medical profession, hasn't it? I've, I've, I've noticed that with a few of the contacts I've had with my local GP and it's um, you know drastically changed the way they deal with it. And I think that going forward, they'll, they'll sort of utilise telemedicine as a way to efficiently deal with some of the, certainly some of the more simple, you know, requests and, and you know, especially things like script repeats and those sorts of things and, and, and basic sort of chats about blood results, etc. And And I think a lot of vets are doing the same. It really does get problematic though, doesn't it, when you have the, and I like your comment on it, Mark, when, when you have these systems and these companies that are doing the, the veterinary telemedicine um, services where people can, for you know, it's often for a more affordable, i.e., cheaper um, price to have a telemedicine consult for your dog, cat, or and or exotic pet. Um, but yeah, I just worry about you know it, 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 they're holding the animal up to the camera and that's about it, Mark. So what what are your thoughts on those sorts of consults? Ones that obviously need need the animal seen. Well, I think that you've hit them, as you often do, hit the nail smack on the head, that there is the opportunity in any new and any new uh, facility, any new process in our profession for players to act without um, the best of intentions or maybe to cut corners or um, whatever. M my experience at the moment is that's not what largely is happening, that um, the people dealing with those um, primary primary care situations are quite um, bluntly and, and immediately moving people on if there's any chance that uh, that they're, they're you know that they need the animal completely examined 
um, physically examined and the stuff they're doing over the phone isn't going to be enough. But I can see a time where, you know, the pressure of work, the pressure of KPIs, um, uh, the the uh, financial pressure on practices is such that um, that maybe the, the telemedicine can act as a stall and not get uh, those animals into a veterinary hospital when they need to be. Like I said, don't see that as a huge issue at the moment, but I don't think it's... I think it's happening because the the uh, stakeholders are acting with goodwill, but there's no regulations to sort of prevent that at this stage. And I see that the ne- that as the next... I see the regulators sort of jumping into this space and starting to make rules about what can and can't be done over that telemedicine space. Mm. So... As far as you know, you haven't heard about any, or I suppose um, because you've still got contact with them, so you may say no comment about any issues with those um, with the telemedicine. Well, I think that the, the at the moment most of the regulations are still largely um, very limiting as to what uh, telemedicine can be done, um, but I think I think that. Uh, that that's going to change, particularly in what you mentioned, COVID, and um, many people have had to deal with consultations with their doctor without being face-to-face, and I think there'll be increasing pressure on the veterinary profession to follow suit, Um, and so so I expect those regulations will be varied. Um, but, But still, at the moment, I think there are some quite, at least in the jurisdictions I'm aware of, there's some quite severe limitations on on what can and can't be done through telemedicine yeah yep yep and because it's a basically a pretty new service um there's always going to be teething issues isn't there with those things but um, the area that i can see it especially helping out is remote service mark so those people with a injured you know, animal in the middle of the outback, they can get the vet telemedicine, a bit like doing the, you know, the Royal Doctors flying service before they fly out there. They can do a bit of a, a teleconsult um, or, or a phone consult, which I'm sure they've been doing for, you know, decades, haven't they, already with the human field, with remote communities. And I think that's true. I think um, those... Uh those places that uh, you know, you know where I'm staying at the moment is very remote, and um, they have a veterinary practitioner uh, fly in once every um, six weeks, uh, and in between times they they do have to work um, on the care of their animals uh, remotely. So it is it does present a difficulty, and and the increasing standards of telecommunications allow opportunities for that to you know, for animal care to be the standard of animal welfare to be raised without putting additional pressure on our profession. So I'm sure it'll happen. Yes. Well, there we go. Um, we're looking into the future, Mark, into the future. Um, what other changes do you think are progressing, are happening within the veterinary industry that will continue to occur um, over the next year or two, um, especially, Mark, that you've seen? Well, I know we're, yeah. we were we were talking off air about the the um, the changes in in uh, veterinary education um, that uh, we're seeing in your home city the 
the uh, the potential for some of the university teaching hospitals to to be um, shut down um, is is a real um, issue at the moment, um, and I think that we will see chops and changes in the way veterinary schools are run. I think I think there will be an increase in the number of veterinary students because the the workforce, the size of our workforce, um, that that's a, a real issue, and so I think um, universities will be under increasing pressure to uh, produce more veterinary graduates. I think it's really difficult in the university sector at the moment, and veterinary schools are at the cutting edge of all the the problems. All the the faculties are expected to do more, produce more students, do more research. Um, with less, with less, with a smaller budget, um, and and uh, and I don't know at what point the veterinary faculties, uh, the veterinary departments, um, you know, buck the trend and and uh, start increasing their budgets. Um, but uh, and I don't know what will happen. You know, is there going to be a an outbreak of a huge infectious disease in in our livestock that? That points to the importance of the veterinary profession, and then the faculties will get more money. I don't, I don't know what will happen. Yes, things were so much simpler, weren't they, when we graduated? Certainly, it's judging by, by the photographs you sent me. Judging by the look of us, they were certainly much, much simpler, weren't they? Yes, yes. Well, you're hinting at I, I, I was trolling through some old old pictures um and i sent a few to mark and they were of me back in my veterinary student days yeah, you look were... exactly the same you look like you haven't aged a day yeah right i was still up to no good though wasn't i by <laughs> some of the photos i sent you yes okay let's jump on now you wanted to chat about another couple of things uh and one of them was you had yeah you were so prepared for this Christmas special <laughs> this year. You had a list of what was it? Some uh, weird thought, and wonderful cases. Yes. It is. It is one of the. I'm always fascinated to talk because many of us who deal with unusual and exotic pets will get unusual. Like you know, we we obviously deal with the non-traditional pets, but we also get asked to look at some really well unusual animals and and do unusual things to them and i thought uh, first of all i'd be very keen to hear from our listeners about sort of the you know if they're dealing with the media and they get asked oh what was your most unusual case uh what what is their what's their answer uh, but i thought that would be I, I, I was keen first of all to hear about your potential most unusual case what what uh what um what was the thing that sort of because you unusual is normal for you so if it's if it was something that was unusual in your mind it'll be unusual and uh, and yeah one of my cases uh, for one one of my other cases from a long time ago that uh, that just sprang to mind recently I thought I'd quickly mention that even for unusual vets we sometimes see some really unusual things fire ahead. Fire away, Bart. You tell me your one. Well, the the case that uh, jumps to my mind is 
we have a, a type of um, a tarantula, a member of the tarantula family here in Australia. Um, the, the, a number of them are kept as pets. They're, they're quite expensive to obtain. There is now a burgeoning uh, home industry in breeding them. They do breed, some of them uh, breed very well in captivity. Uh, but we had a client who had a, uh, uh, the species is commonly referred to as uh, um, uh, the scientific name is Phlogius crassipes. It's the uh, um, uh, uh, often referred to as the um, bird-eating spider, though they, though they don't eat birds. They are, they have an abdomen that's about the size of a seventy-gram egg, and uh, and they have a leg span that's about twenty-four centimeters, so it's roughly just under dinner plate size. And um, a specimen like that in Australia would cost you something of the order of three or four hundred Australian dollars, um, so a very fairly serious investment. And we had one bought to our hospital that had that while his enclosure, while her enclosure was being uh, re uh, tidied and cleaned, she was dropped, not from a great height. Um, but dropped uh, 18 inches or so, and she split her abdomen. Brendan, this is not an uncommon event with these sorts of spiders. And we did manage to see her within about half an hour of the tear to her abdomen. Her abdomen was leaking copious amounts of hemolymph. These spiders have having an open circulatory system, uh, so the the greenish blood analog was leaking out of the the wound the wound was on the ventral aspect and uh and ran about um so probably uh 20, 20 millimeters and so we um we we my receptionist at the time suggested a, a pebo a jar of pebo a, a spray bottle of pebo a, an australian um fly uh, spray um, kill it. We we <laughs> we we declined to kill it, um, and we uh, admitted it to a hospital and anaesthetized it. They do uh, very well with an isofluorine mask placed over the entire spider. They often their legs scrunch up when they're in, injured, so it fitted neatly into a mask. Um, we did use a high percentage, and uh, we were pretty careful to make sure it was immobile before we did anything. We um. We stitched, we actually used a, a very fine suture material to stitch the abdomen together. It didn't give a very good seal. The chitinous exoskeleton is very, very different to so compared to skin. And, and so we topped the wound with a little bit of uh, tissue cement and we did affect a very good seal. We reinflated the abdomen with normal saline. Um, and these events, uh, one of the funny things about these spiders is they are very susceptible to secondary infection. Uh, I suppose not surprisingly, but uh, it's common to make sure you treat them appropriately with antibiotics with such an horrendous injury. Yes. Um, so we did that. And um, lo and behold, she made a sterling recovery. Uh, she shed her skin and dropped the... Um, the sutures out with it at her next shed, um, and uh, and she went on to breed that spider. So that's pretty much my most unusual case. That was sensational. <laughs> uh, now, what I want you to 
talk about for one minute while I, I have to put the doggies out because as yeah, usual, yeah. I've timed things very well. So give me 30 seconds um, and recording live here. We will You will keep talking. Why the hell did you get the owner to continue to breed from this animal and why didn't you just let it um, take it easy and retire and just have a non-stressful life that won't bust its guts again? So. Well, there's... Two chat, reasons. You chat yeah, about I'll, that. I'll, I'll come back and then I'll say, oh, that's in, very good, Mark. <laughs> yes, I'll be back in 30 seconds. So you keep chatting. The interesting thing about this segment of the podcast will be to see if Brendan can guess the two reasons that that I give for for uh, suggesting that it would be okay to breed from this spider. The two reasons were that I charged the gentleman quite a lot of money and I thought it only reasonable that he have the opportunity to recoup some of that uh, that money from selling the slings as baby spiders. Uh, the abbreviation spiderling to sling is made, and uh, and there is a considerable market I'm for back. these guys. So, <laughs> so yes, that was the first reason. And the second one is because they they are harvested from the wild, and so if they are able to be bred in captivity, that takes a significant pressure off the wild populations. There, they're they're, uh, they're they're fascinating in that that they often look very similar, but uh, there's two that they're genetically very different, even only ten or fifteen kilometres apart, and this is reflected in uh, their toxins. Uh, quite different, and so this is an area where lots of pharmacological research is done yes. um, into the toxins of these things. But I was just suggesting to our readers that you might like to guess the first reason that I, in, I didn't in actively encourage, but said it would be okay if old mate uh, allowed his spider to have some some eggs. Can you guess, Brendan? Well, because it wouldn't be much pressure on what happened with the um, spider. It was the money, Brendan. He, okay, he, had, to, right, he, had, okay. to, he had to make some money to afford my bill. Yes, of course. That's, uh, I've, yes, you are, you're worth it though, Mark. Uh, you are worth it. Well, I was racking my brains as I was putting the dogs out then about some of the cases, the unusual cases. And yes, I've had some weird and wonderful ones, but when you put me under pressure like that, it makes it a little bit tricky to be able to pull one out of the hat. But slightly, the one thing I've never seen from you. You've never had performance anxiety in the whole time I've known you. Well, an interesting one, and I may have even mentioned this one on a previous podcast at one stage, is a pig I had to dart. So uh, it's a bit of an unusual pet because it wasn't a, it was a, well, I think it was just, it wasn't a fancy breed or anything. It was a large white or something pig, but it was on a little rural property outside where I practice, Mark, and we usually handball all the all the um, farm animals to the to the local farm vets or the, you know, that deal with the odd cow and horse, et cetera, in our area. But they, they wanted me because I had a dart gun at that stage, Mark, and uh, what had happened is they had a... A little property with a little pig pen, a little area for their piggies, and one of their pigs escaped, and it was the middle of the Australian Melbourne summer mark, where we actually did have a very hot summer that year, and they had a bit of a bush block, as we call it here um, in Australia, so basically a bit of scrub, a bit of, um, you know, um, natural sort of environment there, and... um, 
the piglet escaped um, from its pen and it was running around for several days or a week or two in in the bushes around the farm. It was fenced off, but it was a you know basically a rugged sort of bush area and they'd glimpse their pig occasionally. They tried to attract it and feed it some treats or whatever and it just headed off again. They couldn't put a noose around it to um, lead it back to the pig pen. And it was becoming progressively more and more sunburnt, Mark, because it was a you know one of these white pigs, and there was some really obvious sunburn on it. So they ended up contacting me via one of their other local clinics um, because they thought I'd be able to head out there with a dart gun and and dart this pig. And uh, they had some interesting thoughts about how good. I was a dart gun in Mark, <laughs> at darting these animals. And as you know, Mark, and I think some of our listeners would, would know, these dart guns are very low-velocity guns, projectiles. and, and when they, So they don't go over a great distance and they're greatly influenced by especially the wind because and they go on a bit of a parabolic arc, don't they, um, because they're so light. So and they're compressed air, basically. Um, projectiles really and they expected that i'd just sit at the on the veranda of their little farmhouse and see that pig in the distance um through several bushes and trees and be able to dart it you know several hundred meters away and um, once i'd stopped laughing um i i said no it doesn't quite work like that and i did spend (laughs) i did spend several hours that afternoon um feeling a bit like Rambo trying to stalk this pig in the bush and hide in behind trees and slowly trying to um, sneak up on the on the pig. And after a couple of misses, <laughs> let's just call it misses, I did manage to, to nail it somewhere a bit of a body shot <laughs> on, <laughs> on, the, on the little piggy and eventually became a bit sedated and they managed to drag him back um, into their into their little pig pen but yeah the expectations people have i think it and it is because of what they see on some of these movies etc mark um that i think you can you know you have a, a telescopic sight and you can manage to bring in these animals from a from a long long period away so yeah so it was a very frustrating afternoon even though we ended up successfully sedating the animal there mark so yeah um, so I, that actually that makes me think of one other thing. Do, increasingly, when people ask me, um, people I don't know if I'm out, you know, travelling or at a restaurant or whatever randomly, and they they ask what what do you do for a job, you know, um, increasingly I don't answer veterinarian um, with them. Isn't I, that interesting? I can't be bothered. <laughs> Mark, I can't be bothered. Uh, replied because then you get, oh my, you know, you're. I'm just sick of the whinging, Mark. I'm whinging, I know, but I'm sick of the whinging where they, they say, oh, you know, my, you know, vets, you must be, you must be loaded, or you must have lots of money, or you must, and oh, oh I took my dog to the vet, they killed it. No. Uh, there's a there's a lot so, of tropes, isn't there? There's a lot of or that or you know you're at a barbecue and the next thing you know there's a you know they're 
guinea pig gets presented to you, not on a spit, but um, presented to you. What's wrong with my guinea pig? You know, so sometimes you get a little bit tired. I'm probably not quite this bad, but sometimes you get a little bit tired of it, Mark. So, um, so Brendan, just so I just say I'm accountant, yeah, an accountant. Um, and then they walk away. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought I've I've literally heard you say you were a bus driver once. Yeah, you'd be surprised at all the professions I've had there, Mark. Did I tell you what happened recently when we went on holiday, um, directly no. related to this, when we went down to Tasmania and we had, uh, I think I sent you a few photos of, we did a kayak trip around yep, yep. Um, Coles Bay, the Frasianay Peninsula, beautiful area Spectacular. of Tasmania, and, and which um, is close to... Wineglass Bay, which has been reported many times as the number one beach in the world, Mark, on many surveys, and it is a beautiful beach. Um, we didn't actually kayak to Coles Bay because you have to go around into the open ocean there, but we are uh, to Wineglass Bay, but we went around Coles Bay. And at the start of the, went for about three hours where you go kayaking across Coles Bay and then they stop and you have a they make you a cup of coffee and give you a biscuit and then you kayak back. It was great. It was at dusk. And one of the tour guides was chatting to my my sister-in-law and her partner and he works as a zookeeper and apparently this tour guide wanted to be a, a zookeeper and started quizzing him on all sorts of things and and this is just as we were getting into the canoes, and then I made a fatal mistake, Mark. He he then uh, he then said, "Oh, what do you guys do? You know, what do you do for a living?" And 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 Emma, I said, "Oh, you know." So she used to, was a primary school teacher, but she's basically retired from that now and looks after me, <laughs> which is a full time job, and 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 now adult kids and relaxes um, sometimes, and. He then said, what do you do? Um, and I made the fatal mistake of saying, um, have a guess. Oh. So for the next two and a half hours, Mark, um, he kept trying to guess what I um, did for a profession or a job and with no success. And it became more and more bizarre because I, I, I must admit I did egg him on a bit and gave him a few hints. But it was some of the guesses were everything from I think he did say zookeeper at one stage. Beekeeper, Mark, there you go. Beekeeper, um, computer technician. Um, it was. Um, uh, and account, technically, account, he won't be wrong with any of those. Yes. <laughs> he he uh, came up with some really weird ones like filmmaker and all these sorts of weird, wonderful ones. But anyway, and then as we were kayaking back, back, yeah, podcaster. Well, I did hint a few. At one stage, I did say, "Well, I've written a book." Um, <laughs> then he'd say, "Author," um, and then, and you know, um, travel writer, vlogger, you know. Um, and halfway back from the um, ac- across the bay, there, Mark, um, I think Annie had had enough, and he was <laughs> he was paddling beside me and firing off a few more p- potential ideas for what I do for a job and and he said I can hear this buzzing in my ear (laughs) I thought this was supposed to be a relaxing trip that's what it said on the website 
And then he just slowly sort of paddled away from us and didn't talk to us for the rest of the <laughs> trip. And then when we were all, you know, we took our life jackets off and um, said bye to the other people that were on the trip. I went up to him and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a veterinarian. Um, he looked disappointed then. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, so sometimes it can, um, I think it can, um, sometimes you just don't want to have a big chat to somebody, Mark. I, I think that's the reason why sometimes I don't, can't be bothered saying what I do for a, for a job. Yeah. Have you had anything similar? Have you ever said no? No. Have you ever not replied? No, I've, I've, I probably, it's one of the things that, um, that fascinates me because uh, I always feel that it's been such a privilege to be in this profession that I always take the time to to um, answer as honestly as I can and um, and and put up with you know, as you say sometimes the the questions about their animals' health the comments about other veterinarians the 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 you know comments about uh, wealth or whatever the well-worn tropes um i i i am happy to try and handle them i think our profession has done well for me has done uh, such has provided such a structure to life and a purpose to life that i'm proud to sing the praises of it to to anyone who's interested and it is fascinating how many people you know, I'm a relatively boring person otherwise, and you mentioned that you're a, I've been at those barbecues uh, where everyone's talking about their their profession, trying to get to know each other, and uh, and you um, mentioned that you're a vet and you have a wonderful story about spider surgery, and all of a sudden, quite unfairly, because I'm the most boring person there, but you're the centre of attention, and yeah, I I, uh, I love telling the story of our wonderful profession and my my very small co- uh, part of it and and I put up with the uh, the negatives, Brendan. I put up with them and and uh, try and argue the point if if they're if they're if they're telling me how wealthy we are as veterinarians. I I point out the the cost of a veterinary practice and. And the hours that we put in, and how much less we make per hour than than uh, many of our uh, commensurate professionals. Um, uh, I, I take the advantage to direct them to the vet when they bring me their guinea pig, and and I can, you know, I try not to give them a free consult. I don't want to steal anyone's business, but uh, oh, that uh, that skin looks like I uh, might need some more detailed veterinary attention than i can provide at the barbecue so yeah probably good to yes. get along to brendan's practice which is just around the corner I, I i i must admit i do find it fascinating that whole approach to the way people regard themselves as in in their professional or position or their job um you know i, I had one one day somebody come up to me and say their introduction line was um Hello, I'm Brendan, um, and was sh- sh- held out their hand to shake my hand. Hello, I'm Brendan. I'm a lawyer, and that was their introduction to me. Um, and I just said, "Hello, I'm Brendan. I'm sorry to hear that." <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, yeah, 
and having said that, my you know my as you know my oldest daughter is a lawyer and um, she does an excellent job. So yeah, the the you know the the no, I I think as a as a profession, veterinarians and veterinary nurses, technicians, and that are a lot more humble, um, in my opinion, than than um, than some of the other professions around, as a general rule. Yes. So as far as unusual cases, Mark, I mean, you had an, a, another one, didn't you? you? Wanted to chat about well, a bit of a weird case you had. I'm per- the other one that uh, that I, I don't want to put any. I don't want you to feel like you've got to come up with a matching one. And and while they've been unusual for me, I, f- I find them particularly fascinating because they, you know, they they point to the interest and care that people have for some animals that might might be surprising for many people to think that people would care for them. Um, so one of the other interesting ones was the the scorpion. So in Australia here we have uh, a pretty pretty diverse uh, collection of species of scorpion and there are some that are harvested regularly from the wild for the pet trade uh, particularly some of those from South Australia and they're, they're quite they're not dangerous they'll give you a you know bee sting sort of they're not going to kill you they are quite large uh, some of them will get to that sort of uh, 15 16 17 centimeter total length and one of the things about scorpions that's interesting is that they have live young. Um, and so one of the things about captivity is that in the scorpion world, if you don't have, much like our reptiles, if you don't have the perfect spot to have the offspring, then you don't have them. Um, you can have an environmentally induced dystochia that the temperature or the humidity might not be suitable to ensure us the smooth passage of those uh, baby scorpions. So I have had a, a Eurodacus manicatus scorpion uh, um, presented to us in a bit of distress because of a dystochia. And and I do love this case because obviously someone's cared enough to seek help, but obviously not understood the care sufficiently to provide an environment where the... the um, where the scorpions could reasonably give birth. The scorpion, crikey, Brendan, I did not know what to do. But um, what do you do? Uh, um, the, uh, the, the, we we'd, um, could see the baby scorpions within the mother's abdomen. And so uh, we um, did whatever you do whenever there's a dystochia and you have a knife in your hand and you can see a way to get the young ones out. A cut is a chance to cure, Mark. Well, not in this case, Brendan, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, so we did uh, perform a little procedure and with uh, we didn't use any suture material. We just we just used tissue cement to close her up. And, and I think it's a little bit of a... Uh, failure of passive transfer thing for the babies. I thought we might have trouble saving the mother, but the babies need to feed off some chitinous exudate from the back of the mother. That's why you often see those immediately freshly born scorpions. There's a big bunch on the back of the mum, and and they did not do that um, after being 
brought into the world rather suddenly at the behest of a um, large mammal. And so I don't think they ate. They didn't. They were alive for a little while, but we lost the whole lot eventually. Um, so that was a less successful intervention into arthropod theriogenetics. And so... That's a bit sad, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> but you did your best. You oh, I feel, feel comfortable about that. You can only do your best. Well, that actually does remind me of another <laughs> one case I saw, which was in that, I reckon it was in the first, certainly within the first year that I graduated, Mark, in my first year of practice. Um, it wasn't an unusual pet. It was a dog, actually, and that's just, you know, the variety and the things we deal with. But um, it was a on consultations and my nurse said oh you better go out into the car park um, there's a guy there with his dog he's pretty distressed and um, went out into the car park and he had a ute mark a ute um, here in australia so the the tray truck and he had his german shepherd in the back of the of the car and it wasn't looking very good <laughs> at all um, and I helped carrying it into the um, clinic there and the story was here was and I think I've told you this story again don't think I've told our listeners he's an avid golfer um, and he had a little golfing net at home that he practiced at home and he practiced his driving and he'd um, sit there and tee up a few balls mark and smack them into the net in the backyard and um, his dog would sit there and just watch and watch and watch. And But that morning, his dog decided to just pick up the ball just as he was using oh. his driver. Um, and he smacked this dog um, right in between the eyes in the temple region, Mark, um, full strength with his golf club driver and then brought the dog straight down it was still alive when i saw it but it had a very dramatic you know skull fracture depressed fracture there and it died a minute or two after we'd taken it into the vet clinic there but you know it was a harsh introduction to some of those emergency ones where you know you know you can't do anything and you just feel so inadequate even though you can't do anything and um, learning to deal with know clients and and trying to help them overcome you know um, what do you say to somebody when you know they've it's obviously something they haven't deliberately done but they have killed their dog um, with, um, in a dramatic fashion you know um, so you know that was one of my first introductions to the you know the art of veterinary science and and dealing with the people and and um, you know empathizing with them and and um, yeah, so it is. It's um, it's a very special thing that we are present as uh, professionals at some of the most, you know, emotional times in people's lives. I know that we've had clients say to us that you know they write a short list of the things, the events in in their life that that are most important to them, and their marriage, and their child, the their birth of their child, and and the the death of one of their pets and and we are there to to ensure the right thing happens for the pet but it's also such a privilege that we can be there um, to facilitate 
those people going through that experience and knowing that it's the right thing and and uh, and providing them with uh, the circumstances where it's it's humane and 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 you and I both know that there are often times um, that that can be life changing for people that they um, are bonded to the practice that they see you as someone who um, rightly or wrongly cares about the same things that yep. they care about and um yeah such a privilege to be part of a profession that can do that and we're lucky we're you know when you get to towards the end of your career like you and i mark where you've gone through clients where you've seen generations of their animals mm. whether it's a dog cat fish guinea pig whatever and you've uh, seen yeah. generations of the client's family in some instances <laughs> absolutely you're seeing yeah. those kids that were brought in in a sling or in a pram and you're or you've seen them when they're inside their mum and and that you're congratulating them on their their pregnancy and then um you're congratulating them on their graduation yeah and then then they're having kids you know not only does it make you feel old it makes you feel you know <laughs> proud proud that you've been able to watch generations of those people and they truly often become you know they're acquaintances or perhaps friends some of them and then you see the generations of their dogs and their guinea pigs and their rabbits etc and you know i had another couple this week actually of of long-term clients with long-term dogs again you know that lived into their teens and you know that they've come back again with a with a little puppy Actually, the puppy that was brought back last week was a, what did they call it? It was called, you know, one of the, what, what, a, uh, a shapu, you know, oh, um, or a shipu, a shipu, and they called it something else as well. But you know, a a sharpe poodle cross, obviously of some some kind there, and um, they weren't quite sure um, what to name it on their registration for the. You know the the council registration. So, so you uh, promptly wrote crossbred. Uh, well, no, I probably said to them, "It's a crossbred," <laughs> and they looked a bit deflated. And then we had a bit of a laugh about it all. Yeah, um, <laughs> but then I said, "Well, actually, crossbeds are good because you know they're often hybrid vigor and um, all those sorts of things compared with the those purebreds that have have all those horrible things bred into them, you know, conformational." <laughs> problems and etc so yeah so yeah they brought in their little sharpu uh, mark so yes all these all these you know new dog breeds supposedly in inverted commas um, that, that are out there um, and the 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 other actually <coughs> you reminded me of another excuse me another dog little dog story of the you know the dog desexing the male dog that was brought in and the client loudly you know dropping the dog off in the in the waiting room saying my dog's here to be castigated um, and me promptly going out the front and saying you're a bad dog rover and i'm gonna rip out your balls <laughs> now come with me <laughs> so there we go yes we you, you have to Enjoy the moments. Laugh. You have to laugh, yeah. don't you? Because it, it's stressful enough, and I think that's something you learn as you as you mature and you become perhaps a little bit wiser. That you know, with our with our industry, we end up 
most of us having that dark sense of humour because we need that in order to get through the day and to deal with all the troubles and the death and destruction that we're causing <laughs> or dealing with. Um, You've seen some of my surgeries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think, well, we're almost up to one hour here, Mark, so I, I'm, I'm sure... The eternal about... dilemma of, of our podcast is that we could talk for hours and hours, but um, there does come a point at which we've got to say it's just wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to have people listen to us. We hope this holiday season that everyone is happy and safe and well, and and we're just so glad to be able to share our little part of the world and the idiosyncrasies of our cases with uh, with you guys. So thanks for listening. Um, we're looking forward to, well, maybe a few little tweaks and turns. We've got some plans for 2023. So we look forward to talking to you all then. But yes, now, and have a safe and wonderful new year, depending on whether it's happened or about to happen, Mark, when we drop this episode. And uh, we're still planning on being here and there and everywhere in 2023. So drop us a line, say hello, vetgurus at gmail.com. As I say, we feel lonely otherwise if we're not getting lots of emails or any emails. Sometimes we don't get any emails for a while. So, yes, and many thanks for listening. And hopefully everybody has a wonderful, wonderful 2023 including keeping away from that COVID um, that's still hanging around, Mark, and it will continue to hang around for a, a period longer, I think. Um, and you too, Mark, have a great break while you're up north um, and stay safe. And we will record very soon, won't we? Um, <laughs> And all the best to your family as well. And I think with that, I'm going to just play our typical outtakes tape that we um, have and then our um, Mr. Outro. And we will talk to you all next week or the week after, depending on when we when you hear from us again. We'll talk to you then. I don't know whether you can hear me now, Brendan. I doubt it. Oh, no. I'm going to have to pause here. You can't hear me, obviously. And I'll just cut it out there, Mark. Ah, there you go. I can hear you now. That's better. So, yeah, try. Brendan, can you hear me? Oh, I think you've dropped off again. Brendan, can you hear me? This is just going to be a disaster. Mark's just dropped off there, so while he while he waits to get back in, I will continue on with the story. I didn't realise how viral it had gone. That was quite funny. And I don't know what's happened to Dr. Brendan. I don't know. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time we'll be right back.